The reading is from Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 12, and in the Church Bible it's to be found on page 1032. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Well, this episode of uh, Jesus healing a leper appears in three of the four Gospels. Uh, It's probably quite uh, familiar, I guess, to to many of us. And familiarity, though, is in many ways a dangerous thing because um, it's easy just to read this passage and think, well, yeah, that's just another example of uh, Jesus healing someone. Um, Yes, Jesus is powerful. Yes, he is compassionate. This time it's a leper. Next time it's a paralytic. But if we're to appreciate the full significance of this episode, I think we need to understand the situation of the leper. In Jesus' day, leprosy was a a bit of a catch-all term. The word used here for all sorts of skin disease. Um, One of the worst being what we know today as Hansen's disease. I guess not many of us here will have come across somebody who suffers from leprosy. But um, leprosy mission we mentioned earlier on, reckon there are over six million sufferers of leprosy worldwide. And over three million of those would come from India. And only one in four of them receive treatment. It's a horrendously debilitating, horrendously painful disease. And just to help us understand, this is how the Leprosy Mission describe it on their website. Leprosy starts by damaging the smaller nerves that control feeling on the skin's surface. The first outward sign of leprosy is usually loss of feeling and patches on the skin. If treated during these early stages, there will be no further damage. If left untreated, leprosy then affects the trunk nerves in the elbow, wrist, neck, knee and ankle. Resulting damage can lead to loss of sensation in the hands and feet, shortened digits, clawed fingers and dropped foot. Ulcers can also develop. Loss of sensation in hands, feet and eyes means that everyday activities are fraught with danger. Burns go unrecognised, wounds untended, stones in shoes and grit in the eyes go unnoticed. In Jesus' time, leprosy was a common condition and uh, people were well aware of lepers. It was so serious that those who had a developed form of the disease were considered to be as good as dead already. When Moses' sister Miriam was struck down with leprosy, Aaron said, let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away. And if the condition itself wasn't bad enough, lepers were considered as a living symbol of spiritual and physical death. 
and were therefore excluded from the people of God, shut out from his presence in the temple. And if a leper should be healed, then uh, he had to make a sacrifice of atonement in order to be readmitted into God's people. The situation of these people is horrendous. Their lives are ruined. They have no hope. There's no cure for them. And they have to live in total isolation. You've seen the film Ben-Hur, which um, I guess uh, many of us here will have done. Um, Amazingly, it's actually over 50 years now since it was first released um, and won a record number of Oscars at the time. There's a scene in that film, which I can still remember when I first watched it years ago as a a young lad, Um, a scene that captures the awful effect of this disease on people, how it breaks families up. Um, We're going to actually watch it now. It's um, where Ben-Hur realises that um, his mother and his sister, who he thought were dead, are actually alive, um, but they're suffering from leprosy and living in a leper colony. Um, scene may be familiar to some of you, but it gives us a good insight into just the situation we're looking at this evening as Jesus heals a leper.
Well, it's quite a harrowing scene, isn't it? But it um, helps us understand the context of uh, what we're looking at here this evening in this episode. Um, and the first shock that we, we have when we read this story, um, picking it up in verse 12, is while he, Jesus, was in one of the towns, that is, he's in the hill country around the Sea of Galilee, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. A leper comes to Jesus in a town. That is not what a leper should do. He should keep away. And the reason he does that is because he is so desperate. Jesus is his only hope. He's so desperate that he's prepared to enter the town, probably calling out, unclean, unclean, knowing that people would be running away, keeping their distance, not wanting to catch sight of the awful sight of him. There'll be the disgusting smell, probably, not having washed with open sores. They would probably be swearing at him, maybe even throwing stones at him, trying to keep him out of the town. But desperately, he wants to get to Jesus, so he comes in. And it says, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground. And not only is this total desperation, this is utter humility. This is complete reverence for Jesus Christ. If his condition was as bad as Luke indicates, that he was full of leprosy, it would probably have been very painful for him to actually get down on the ground. But he falls face down in the dirt at the feet of Jesus. 
It's a posture of worship. And the interesting thing is that he does that before Jesus heals him. You know, you can imagine that some people would go up to Jesus and complain about their illness and say, look, if you're God, why did you allow this to happen to me? What did I do to deserve this awful condition that I've got? Others may come and bargain with Jesus and say, look, I'm prepared to accept that you may be God. If you heal me, then I will follow you. But this man is worshipping Jesus before because he realises who he is. He realises that he is worthy of his worship. Whether or not Jesus heals him, he's fallen down before him. And I wonder, even as Christians, sometimes we are guilty of only praising God when good things happen to us, rather than worshipping because of who he is, because he's worthy of our worship. Sometimes we may be guilty of doing deals with God. You know, if you answer my prayer in this way, precisely as I have asked you, God, then I will commit even more of my life to you. Well, the leper here doesn't say, if you can. He knows he can. He says, if you are willing. There's a submission here to the will of God. He's saying, you have the power to heal. I know that. You don't have to. But I'm asking now that you would do that. It's a humble prayer of faith. And it's a good way to pray. You know, I worship you. You are Lord. You can do whatever you want. But because you're loving, I'm asking you now to heal me. Now, because we, we live in a, a fallen world where illness is rife, there will be many occasions when we ourselves are ill, when those we know become ill. And we will want to pray for healing. We will want Jesus to, to give that healing. And it's right to pray for healing. But our worship of God shouldn't depend on the answer to that prayer, because sometimes God will not heal. And it's not because of his lack of love, it's not because of our lack of faith, it's because we don't know his plans. And which is why in our verse for the year we pray that he would give us patience in affliction. The leper here, he begged Jesus. The man is desperate and we can see the desperation of this man's condition. We, we may be thinking, well, if I was in his condition, I too would be doing that. I'd do anything to be healed from it. Well, the thing is that we are, or for many of us here, we have been in just such a desperate condition because it's called sin. Sin is desperate because it separates us from God. It means we live in isolation from God. It means we live without hope. And it's only when we realise the desperation of our condition that we can be healed, which means being forgiven. It's only when we realise that we can do nothing ourselves about our condition that we have to rely fully on God that we receive his salvation. And that is what this situation in many ways is a picture of. That is why the leper here doesn't say, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I'll come back to that in a minute. But um, the first shock then is in the passage is that the leper actually comes to Jesus and worships him in the first place. The second shock here in this passage is that Jesus touches an untouchable. What would have been the greatest fear of the crowd when they saw the leper coming towards them? They would catch that same disease, that they too would suffer the same pain, the same rejection, the same isolation. The last thing they would think of doing would be to touch him. And yet what does Jesus do? Have a look down in the passage. 
Verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I wonder how long it would have been since somebody had touched him. Maybe, for all we know, he could have been married before he contracted leprosy. He could have had children. In which case, one of the things he would have missed most would have been touch. Princess Diana was by no means perfect, but what people appreciated in her in some ways most, was her willingness to approach and touch the untouchables, the lepers, the AIDS sufferers. She got down to their level and touched them. When Jesus came down to the world of humankind, he didn't keep himself at a distance like some VIP who didn't want to get his hands dirty. He didn't stand at a distance and say, you are clean, which he could have done. He got down to the level of the lowest of the low, the untouchables, and he touches him. He stops his teaching, and in the middle of the crowd and the religious leaders for a moment, he devotes his attention to this one man who's lying with his face in the ground in front of him. A man who doesn't know what is going to happen. He's expecting a word from Jesus. And what does he receive? He receives his touch. Jesus touches the untouchable. And as he does that, what he's doing is he's identifying with this man. He's showing him concern. He's showing him affection. He's blessing him. He's encouraging him. He's restoring his dignity. The man's been alone for years, as we saw in that clip. He's probably lived an existence where he has no identity. There's no names here in the colony, the guy said in that clip. And now his new life is beginning when Jesus touches him as a friend. Well, what is Jesus showing here by this action towards um, this outcast of society? Well, one thing he's showing is that anybody can have access to God's blessing. No one in this life gets to the point where they are beyond Jesus' blessing, beyond the point of being reconciled to God, however much they may be ostracised by other people. The question we may want to ask ourselves is, who are the untouchables in our society? Well, in one sense, they are all those who are isolated from God because of their sin. But who are those who are ostracised by our society? Is it the elderly, in some cases? The mentally and physically handicapped? The homeless? Those in prison? When was the last time we touched broken, desperate, needy people with the love of Jesus if we look at the, the social makeup of our village, to what extent does our church here reflect that, that makeup? Are we too cosy? Even within the church, you know, how much time do we spend speaking to our friends? How much time do we speak, spend speaking to those who are just on the fringe of the church? We're not doing a building project to be cosy. We're doing it to break out of our comfort zone. We need to be out there inviting people in to join us. Jesus touches an untouchable. But of course it doesn't end there. Jesus also cleans the unclean. And it's interesting that when the leper does ask Jesus to heal him, he doesn't say, if you're willing, you can heal me. He does say, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And what Jesus says after touching the man is, be clean. This is immediately the leprosy left him. And then he says to him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. What is this 
cleansing all of us. What does this idea of cleanness mean, um, particularly in the Old Testament? Well, uncleanness, cleanness is a bar to holiness. It stops somebody approaching God. You can't sacrifice an unclean animal. You can't worship God if you are in, in, in an unclean state. Now, the thing is, some of these things that prevent us approaching God are part of our human nature. We can't do anything about them, which is why they symbolize sin, which again is part of our human nature. We can't do anything about it without the help of God. Let's just turn to Isaiah for a minute. Um, Isaiah chapter 1. Find that on page uh, 685 of the Church Bibles. And here we see this connection between sin and leprosy. We just read verses 4 to 6 here. Our sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption, they have forsaken the Lord. They've spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and bruises and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. These are the words of God. He's describing Israel as a sinful nation. He's using leprosy as an analogy for sin. And what he's saying is people are sinful. They're unclean. They're filthy like lepers. It's a condition that is is deep. It's a condition that is incurable. It's a condition that makes you insensitive. And it causes you to live separated from God. Ultimately, it's a condition that will lead to your death. And God says that we're all sinners by nature, by choice. And because of our sin, we are in the same position as that leper. The good news is that when Jesus came to earth, he came to do something about that natural human condition. He shows that by making those people who previously were unclean, clean, he heals lepers. He heals a a woman suffering from a flow of blood. He raises the dead. All people who are unclean, he makes clean. It is an amazing thing that he does. And it's significant as we go back to that passage in Luke's Gospel to see just where it comes because these stories here are not just sort of uh, thrown in at random. There is a deliberate sequence to them. Just have a look. Um, Last week, remember in the account of Peter being called... By Jesus, what do we see there? We saw in the first time in Luke's Gospel someone being convicted of their sin. What does Simon Peter say in verse 8 of chapter 5? He said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Then we have the story of the leper we have this evening. Next time we will see the story of the paralytic who is lowered through the roof and Jesus brings together the healing and the forgiveness of sins. He says, which is easier, he asks them, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And then after that in verse 27, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks, we see Jesus calling Matthew. And it says at the end of that passage there in verse 
32. I have not come to call the righteous, I've called, come to call sinners to repentance. When God comes to earth as the man, Jesus Christ, when he comes face to face with sin, he would have had the same repulsion, the same reaction as you and I would have if we were face to face today with somebody suffering from full-blown leprosy. It's disgusting. And yet, Jesus puts a hand on us. He touches us. He makes us clean. If you ask Jesus, would you cleanse me? He would say, yes, I'm willing. Be clean, be forgiven. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Whatever we've done in the past, in in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be made clean. That is for every one of us here this evening. We can have our filth taken away. We can be given a brand new life, a new identity as a new, clean person. Well, having healed the leper, Jesus tells him to go to the priest and not tell anybody. Why does he tell him to go to the priest? Well, because by observing the regulations of the Old Testament, he will be able to be accepted back into society. He's being reinstituted. It's not quite clear why he tells um, him not to tell anybody else. Maybe he doesn't want uh, too much attention on his healing at this time. It will detract from his teaching. Maybe the time is just not yet right in Jesus' plans. But of course, what does he do? He goes and tells everybody. Word gets out and um, gets out quickly. Even before Facebook, the word is out there. And unsurprisingly, people come. They want a bit of the action. If they're suffering themselves, they want to be healed. If they're not, they want to see other people being healed. This is an amazing thing. This doesn't happen every day of the, of the year. And it's the next response, though, as we finish and come to a final point, that provides another surprise. Because you might expect here that Jesus would be thinking, there's just so many people here. I have a huge work to do. I'm not going to stop until every one of them is healed. But it says there, in verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus needed to rest. He needed to pray. And it's uh, something that's recorded several times in Luke. Jesus withdraws and he prays. And that must have been very annoying for those who were waiting to be healed. You know what it's like yourself when you're in a supermarket, you're at the checkout, you've been waiting for ages, you get just to the point where you're about to put your things on the, on the conveyor belt and the assistant says, sorry, um, we're closed, can you move on to the next one? But this is far more serious than that. This is um, somebody who, if they're a leper, this is their only chance of being healed. There's not many Jesuses that come around and do this sort of thing. Imagine when they see that he's gone. Imagine their reaction. They would have been saying, well, hang on a minute. Why did this guy get healed? Why not? What about me? And it might appear that Jesus has just had enough, that he's uncaring. But what he's doing is he's doing exactly what the Father called him to do. He's not doing everything that he could possibly do. He's doing everything that he's called to do. When God became a man, he took upon himself certain human limitations. He did that to humbly identify himself with us. 
So he needs to eat. He needs to sleep. He needs to, to get a day off, to model that sense of day off. He needs to drink water. Otherwise, he's going to die. He can't be healing people 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He has to manage his time and his energy. Jesus has poured himself out. He's been preaching, he's been teaching, he's been healing. He's been casting out demons. And he's tired. And it's not that there are not people who need him, it's that he needs to rest and to pray. And to be refreshed, he needs to spend time with the Father. And it's the same for us. We mustn't forget that our bodies, our minds... Our emotions have limitations. And if we push them sooner or later, we will crash. If we push them a bit, we will get grumpy. We will lose our energy levels. We all know what it's like. We become irritable. We become indecisive. Easily tempted. And if we push further, we will crash and burn and end up with major health problems. But that is our society, isn't it? It's a macho image to be a workaholic. I know for some there will be the other extreme that they never actually get out of second gear. But I think our culture, we need to be careful, particularly as Christians, that we don't fall into that same trap of workaholism. Diligence is a good thing. Conscientiousness is a good thing. Perfectionism is not a good thing. I preach to myself here. There are only a certain number of hours that God has given us to work, which means we cannot do everything. And we need to listen and know what we must be doing. Let's be careful that we don't fall into the trap that everything depends on us. It's God's work and not ours. Well, if Jesus needed rest and time with the Father, then we certainly do too. Well, as we finish this evening, this short passage is a great insight into the, the radicalness of Jesus' ministry. How he was prepared to touch and untouchable. And he's prepared to clean the unclean. And it shows us just how much he loves us, just how much he's prepared to do for us. He doesn't want us to remain isolated from God. He doesn't want us to be separated from one another. And if we've known what it is to be, in the words of the hymn we're going to sing in a moment, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, then we can only want to praise God. We can only want others to know that same joy of being touched by God. And it's also a good good lesson to learn about the attitude that he expects from us. The attitude that the leper showed of submission. Submission to his will. Acceptance of his plans. Because his ways are perfect.